This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. This is Taylor Stevens, the New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of kick-ass international thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. And Taylor, I, I know that um, we have some fascinating chit-chat today. What's our chit-chat? The whole show. The whole show is chit-chat. <laughs> <laughs> is, is this an actual reaction of yours from, from doing the in-depth deep dive that, with the Hack the Craft material? It's like, okay, we need to do something. Yes. I'm, I'm so breath. glad. <laughs> so glad we, can just, we can just shoot the breeze and not have to do hard mental stuff. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, so for those of you who are listening, I know we said it's all chit-chat, and it is all chit-chat, but it's, it's going to be writing-related chit-chat because I'm about to throw something at Steve here, so just roll with us. Okay, Steve, yes. you remember how we were talking a couple months ago, maybe even longer, just about TV shows and stuff, and you told me to watch The Blacklist. Do you remember yes. that? Yes, I remember that, and I, I told you, not that I am in love with the show, but I felt like the opening sequence to The Blacklist was the best opening to a TV show I'd ever seen. So don't, if you don't like the show, don't blame me. I like the show, and I hate you. <laughs> no. Okay. Okay. So what it is is like I finally I finally started watching it and I hate you because I cannot freaking stop. And it's not even that the show is so good. It's just okay, so how do I explain this? What put it on and the uh the opening sequence, like you said, fantastic opening sequence, without a doubt. And then Within the first five minutes of sort of laying out the foundation for, for anybody here who hasn't seen the blacklist, basically the premise is that this guy who is a former Pentagon, like secret spy, whatever, he's been a most wanted guy. He, he had def not defected, but he sold supposedly sold uh you know, government information to someone else. And he's been on the most wanted list for a long time. And this, this show opens where he walks himself into, I guess, some government building. FBI. And FBI. And they immediately facial recognition. They know who he is. And, you know, all alerts go out. And he just basically gets down on his knees, interlaces his fingers behind his head and lets them take them into lets them take him into custody and he's like, I'm going to spill my guts of everything I know about the criminal underworld, but I'm only going to talk to this one person. And that one person is, I think, a, a profiler or something like that. She's a woman who has just started work. Like, she's just brand new on the job. And nobody understands why he wants to talk to her. She doesn't understand why he wants to talk to her. And that's basically how the show opens. And... The whole rest of the every episode that follows is this intermingling of him handing off criminals to them, what he knows about criminals so that the FBI can take that information and hunt them down and do its thing and whatever. And then there's lots of personal 
drama, as with all shows, personal drama and stuff that, that gets wrapped into it. So that's basic show. And the first, within the first five minutes of watching that first episode, my brain literally went, oh, I found my people. <laughs> because <laughs> this guy who's, who's, who's played by James Spader, is that, I think that's his name. Spader. Um, mm-hmm. He's this, he is basically Jack, Jill, Monroe, Claire, and every scheming, machination, spinning character I've ever created wrapped up in one body. And it was just like, I felt this, like, I'm in smart hands now. And my whole body, my brain just relaxed. And that's the part of it that I love and I cannot stop watching is how he manipulates and spins and everything is connected to something else. And on the other hand, I hate this show with a undying passion of a thousand burning suns. Because it's so stupid. (laughs) I don't know. Like, I've never written for TV. I I know I don't know how this show came about, but and and I don't watch a lot of TV. So like anybody who's watched lots of seasons of I don't know, these cop shows or you know, law shows or prosecutor shows or whatever people watch. Cause I, I don't know. I'm dumb when it comes to stuff that's being played over the airwaves. Uh, I'm maybe this is really familiar and you might not even notice it, but me, I come to TV from, uh, the background of writing novels and there are already things that you can do with TV that you can't do with novels that makes me angry because not angry, angry, but like, that's a bunch of bull crap because it's not fair. It's like a double standard for storytelling. And so um, I come from it like, you know, you want to have your facts right. And, you know, every character serves a purpose. Every part of the plot serves a purpose. Every part of the story has to serve a purpose for a novel to really work. And apparently that does not count when you're writing for TV because the, the, there are parts of these shows that I just absolutely love. And then the, there's parts of them that make me crazy because you get, you know, the, the main character will hand off this information to the, the agent that he's in communication with. And she takes it back to her team and they all do their things. Every single person on the team is like a quote unquote specialist in their own area. So you've got your computer guy and you've got your CIA, um, task force person or later it's Mossad or whatever that are on this team and everybody's got their little supposed area of expertise. And then you've got the guy who runs this whole setup, who's supposed to be like this assistant deputy director of the FBI or something like that. And so the team will all come together and they'll be standing around a table or in front of a computer and they'll be laying out the facts to their boss. But they're not laying out the facts for their boss. They're laying out the facts for their the, for the audience, for the, for the people who are watching it. And every single one of them has a speaking part. Always. This is just like, it's like a formula where, you know, fill in this, fill in this. So every, every single one of them has a speaking part and they are explaining to the, their boss everything that they know. But every single one of them apparently knows exactly the same things because they just pick one picks up where the other left off. And whether it's related to their field or not, they just know these things and they, they tell their boss 
And then the boss is like, okay, good. I want a full report when you're finished. And it's like, what's he even doing there? Like he, he serves no purpose whatsoever except to yell at them when they make mistakes and become an obstacle when we need to throw up roadblocks of why they can't do something the legitimate way. And it's all so freaking contrived that I'm just like, I would fast forward it to get to the parts that I want to listen to or watch, if not for the fact that often there's intertwined things that are intertwined, right? That the information is there and it's like, okay, fine. So every show of this stupid thing that I can't stop watching has very fascinating parts. And then just this dumb as crap. (laughs) So dumb. They just, oh my God. And so then on top of that, they don't even like make sure that, okay, maybe the world's changed a little bit since the show first started. I don't know what year it first started out, but, and I think it's on like season eight or nine now or something. So it's not that long ago, but they talk about stuff that even me, like I'm not an expert in a lot of stuff. I'm not an expert in almost anything except how to tell a good story. But I guess because of all the research that I've had to do for my own stories, they pull up these plots and I'm just like, say what? No, that didn't happen. Uh, No, I'm sorry. That's not how the world works. And I'm sitting there yelling at the TV like a freaking maniac because they're so wrong and I can't stop watching it. Like the other night I saw one that had to do with a, a, like a pandemic type situation, which I mean, granted, everybody knows about pandemic stuff now, but even eight years ago, I still knew enough to know that you don't come up with a vaccine for this unheard of uh, plague, mnemonic plague in the space of three hours <laughs> and spread it across <laughs> the globe to all the places that got hit in the space of a few hours. I'm like, that's not real life. That's fantasy. And then there was this other show where um, so the scene took place. It says Douala, Cameroon. And it's like this shack out in the middle of the jungle. And I'm like, say what? <laughs> what part of Cameroon and what part of Douala is that in? And then on top of that, the the characters have these accents. And I'm like, you realize that uh, Cameroon's a French-speaking country, so that's not how they're going to sound. And then they did another one in Sierra Leone, and I'm like, oh, they just went around the corner to film that from where they filmed Douala Cameroon. It's just another place out in the supposed quote-unquote jungle. And they're speaking English like English speakers instead of French. And I'm just like, I don't trust you guys anymore for any scene or any setting you ever show me. I you're liars. You do not do your research. How can you have a show on television like this and not do your research? (laughs) And it just, it just keeps going. And then like, I'm not even a, uh, like I'm not an expert in military strategy or fighting or anything like that, but you'll get these scenes where the, the, the FBI and their team will be coming through a tunnel and they'll spread out, like do their checks to make sure the area is cleared. And then it pans back and it they're being shown from a balcony. The scene is being shown from a balcony across the way from the tunnel. And you can actually see the balcony railing in it. And I'm like, but but if that was being visualized from there and clearly, you know, you're showing the point of view of someone or something. If you're showing the balcony, uh, then those people are all dead. Like what? It just goes 
it goes on and on. Like, and then you end up with like they're flying these FBI agents from their little tiny task force all the way over to, you know, Moscow or Singapore, or wherever, to interrogate people. And I'm like, that's not. Did, did you not have a local branch of people you could call over there? That you didn't have to fly these characters halfway around the world to ask those people questions. It just goes on and on and on like that. And so now it's almost become a, uh, I really should start taking notes of all the things that's stupid. And I still can't stop watching it. I can't stop watching it because the machinations. And so, yes, Steve, uh, thank you. And you're awful. <laughs> all right. So let's talk about Raymond Reddington, because he is such a brilliantly conceived character. And you just, you describe him as sort of an encapsulation of all of these characters that, that you've come up with. Why, why well, do I'm you... Not, I'm not taking credit. I'm not... No, I don't, like I don't mean that. No, that wasn't what I meant at all. It's just, why, why do you think that he is such... Um, I'm trying to... He's, he's almost like a blank canvas for anything that you want to do. And, and how, did they, how did they pull that off? What, what do you mean by how they, like, how did they create him or like? Well, yeah, like j- just the character of Raymond Reddington, the, the fact that he's got this specific background and yet somehow or other he's become incredibly wealthy. So he's got, and he, he has contacts everywhere in the world. All of this stuff blends together to make a, a superhero type character who's physically not a superhero, but sort of mentally and connection wise, a superhero. Yeah, I mean, I think so. When I was thinking about that aspect of it some time back, I think one of the things that makes characters like that very versatile in storytelling is that sometimes, well, not if you're a TV writer, clearly, but if you're a novelist, sometimes you can get yourself in a bit of a crunch of like, well, I don't exactly know how this character would figure out that information and your your word count is already growing exponentially. And it's really so much easier if you have somebody who knows a guy. You don't have to, they don't have to go through all the hard work of figuring out how they do it. They just have to know somebody who knows how to do it and come back with that information and problem solved, right? So you basically, in Raymond Reddington, they've created a character who has that endlessly and exponentially endlessly. There's always, he always knows a guy who knows a guy. And, and so that part of the hard work of writing, if they were going to do the hard work, which they clearly don't, um, would, wouldn't need to take place. He's, he's the way that the plot is able to drive it forward. But there are aspects of his character that I find very endearing, um, in that he, because there's, I find them endearing because it's, it's smart in that he's constantly trading knowledge for knowledge, information for information in the sense that he doesn't have to use threats and violence to get what he wants. Everybody that loves him just absolutely adores him. And his enemies are very afraid of him because he is so powerful. And the way that he has consolidated this power for himself is trading on treating people fairly, but also not being afraid to be brutal when necessary. And there's this scene that I saw recently in one of the shows, and I'm sorry if there's spoilers, guys, but there's eight years of this, so you'll forget by the time you watch it. Um, where there's a guy, you know, he's going to kill him, right? But before he does, 
he sits down and they have they drink together and they talk together and they reminisce over old times. And there's this humanity about him that makes it that when he kills him, you know, it's just something that had to be done. It's done quickly, efficiently, without any pain, without any torture, without any I'm going to make you suffer. Let's just reminisce about the old times. And then it happens so fast. The guy hardly even knows that it happened. There's that kind of humanity about him, but he's not afraid to do the hard things that makes him a very, very compelling character. You know that there's things that he wants, things that he fears, stuff, think people that he loves. You don't know why. That's part of the running, um, I guess, the string you along mysteries that get revealed maybe one day down the line. But all those parts of the character make him very compelling. And he's he's always got interesting takes on life or funny stories. Like, he's always got these very detailed stories that he just launches off into, but they somehow always come back and connect to the moment that's happening right there. So they've done this really, really, really good job of developing him as a character and giving him the tools to keep the show running, maybe indefinitely. Just all the rest of it that's so stupid. Well, let's talk about him as physically as a character, because if I were casting something like this, I think I would be going for tall, dark and handsome rather than James Spader at his age. Um, who's, you know, he's an attractive guy. He's, he's been in television and movies his whole life, but he's a little overweight. He's bald. He's slow moving. He's, he's a middle-aged white guy. Yeah. So and that's, that's, part that's of kind it. of against typecasting and, it, but and some of the other characters isn't. are like that as well. They're almost like the exact opposite of what you would expect. Yeah, I suppose. But in his case, I think it plays very well because it's easy for people to underestimate him because he's not all big and buff. But then you see him in action. There are times when he actually does get his hands dirty and he does not hesitate. Does, he's brutal in his efficiency. He's not about making people hurt. He's just about getting the job done. And you can see in the way that he moves and the way that he responds to things that that's not his preferred course of action, but he'll absolutely take it if necessary. And I think that if they had cast somebody who was suave and, you know, really big and buff, it would um, dull the impact that you get in seeing somebody who doesn't fit that character stereotype then step into those roles role and i think it makes it even more effective honestly as a character when what you don't expect then behaves in a way that's just pretty freaking badass so i i think that was a really good casting choice honestly and i will admit that i, I don't watch as much tv as i used to but when I used to watch more TV, when a new season would start, I would set our DVR to record the first episode of anything that, where there was even a slim chance that it could be interesting to me. And, and when I watched the opening scene of that, and I, I, you didn't really do it justice. <laughs> well, that, <laughs> if you haven't, if you haven't seen it, go, you, you've go got to at least, you've got, you've got to watch it because it's, just the opening scene is so well done. And he does. He walks into this office, but when he kneels down, he's not just kneeling down in the middle of this big open space. He's kneeling down in the middle of the FBI symbol that's 
a part of the floor in the big open space. And it it's just so well done. And then he goes into this this, you know, like black box and they're trying to figure it's, out what the heck's going on. And it's yeah, just, they stick it in a containment. I, love it. I a probably containment. watched that opening scene a dozen times. I just I love it. It's really, really well done. I um I I think I mean I remember we had when we were first talking about it, you told me that sometimes the show does tend to jump the shark. Oh, and I've um, never seen a show jump the shark as many times as this show has. I, I don't know that I have necessarily reached the official shark jumping stages that you're referring to, but because I'm a stickler for accuracy and they just start spouting all this random (laughs) made up stuff when they're trying to explain what's going on or whatever, or the scenarios that they set up that are just so freaking improbable. Um, I just, (laughs) I just can't with it. All right, so let's but, let's take a step back now. When I first brought up the blacklist, that was the second show that I wanted you to watch. Yes, um, and I only wanted you to watch the opening scene. Like I didn't, I yeah. didn't expect you to to like the show enough to get really absorbed in it. And I thought that you would watch this other show and get completely absorbed in it the way that I did. And this is a show, and I'm, I'm really curious to hear what um, listeners think about these these two shows. If if you haven't seen the show Money Heist on Netflix, uh, Netflix, you won't know what I'm talking about. But there, that's also a brilliant setup to a story. And I'm not going to go into any detail because I don't want to spoil it because the whole series is is kind of set up from uh, from the opening of that. But I, for me, that particular series is the first series in my life that I binge watched. And I did it because I wanted to get to the end of the series, knowing that there's no way that this particular series could get beyond season one. I wanted to get to the end and I got to the end and it was the cliffhanger ending and I was (laughs) devastated. Oh, God, but I was watching that, like three or four hours a night to get to the end to find out how this thing resolved itself. But I expected you, Taylor, to just be completely absorbed by this show. And my sense in talking to you about it is eh, not so good. I watched I watched the first episode and I didn't. And by the way, the show we're talking about, I think Steve said it already, but it's Money Heist. Yes. Um, I watched the first episode and it was not bad. But it didn't grab me the same way that the that Raymond Reddington character did in the blacklist. And so I just there's so little time and there's other things and I just haven't gone back to it yet. It's not that I don't I'm not interested. Well, actually, it's that you keep telling me it's so good. That makes me go. I got to give this another another um, episode. It's not it just didn't grab me in the same way. And I'm not sure why and okay i think i think i have a sense of why it it has to do with not it has to do with the intellectual side of it like the the main character who's sort of planning everything he is clearly smart but the credentials that set him up for being smart ha- are not revealed in that first episode so i don't really know oh interesting how he, who he is or how he plays into this whole thing or where he's going with anything. With the Raymond Reddington character, he stated his purpose 
from the very get-go. I have all of this information. I'm willing to talk to this one person for my own reasons, and I am helping you because I'm a selfish person who has an agenda, and I can help you so you can help me. And you're like, okay, then. We know we know what's motivating this guy, and as long as the as the series progresses, those motivations don't vary. And we I hit one where those motivations kind of came a little bit out of left field, and it felt a little preachy. Even though it was something that I agreed with, it still felt preachy. And like this doesn't feel uh, it feels contrived and forced to fit the script of this show, but. I don't really feel that that's that character. And it just felt, I didn't really like that episode at all. It just felt, eh, whatever. But it, not enough to make me stop watching because by that time there's so much more else going on in his life. But I'm getting to the point where I'm like, okay, guys, come on. Come on. Just You can't have every single sh- episode be more of the same. Let's let's get on with it. And then there'll be some twist. And I'm like, okay. Okay, I like that. Good job. Let's keep going. And But with Money Heist, I um. I, I don't trust the characters yet, any of them, because I, I didn't get a sense of who they are or how they're going to backstab each other or mess something up. They don't feel Raymond Reddington feels very in control of his life. And like he is six, seven, eight steps ahead of everyone around him. And that is a feeling of, all right, I mean, I'm whatever this character is up to. I trust that. No matter how much bad stuff comes at him, he's still going to find a way. And I want to I want to see how he does it. I'm not sitting there going, uh, this is a little shady here. I don't really know if I can trust this guy as a reliable narrator type thing. With Money Heist, I don't I obviously I've only gotten through one of the episodes, but I don't feel like I know or trust any of the characters yet. And that might be part of what the story is. But because I have that disease, like, eh, it makes me go, I'm not sure I want to invest the time in it. I think that's what's going on. So that's interesting, because for me, the fact that we didn't know about the characters in Money Heist was another one of the things that kept me going, because I wanted mm. to learn more about them. And they just kept, I mean, even into the, like, the third season, I'm, I'm finally, I, I boycotted for, like, two years after the first season ended. I was so upset it was a cliffhanger ending and it wasn't over, but now I'm back into it again and I watch every so often, but they're still doling out information about, about the characters and we're learning more about them as we go, which is a, which is a writing technique that, I mean, you don't just dump everything on the page about the character. You allude to things that will get the reader to want to learn more. And I'm, I'm, I'm I guess I'm kind of surprised that you took you're looking at these two things so differently, where where one, you got enough information about Raymond Reddington right up front to know, yeah, I really want to watch this. And in the second one, you did not get enough information about the main character, um, the professor in, yeah. in that series to want to watch more. Whereas I was just, oh, I want to know more about this guy and I want to know more That's about this girl and I want to know more about this other guy. Yeah, I think, yeah, no, you're right. That's that's it's a different just like not everybody's going to be drawn to the same types of genre, the same types of characters and books It's probably we all have our own tastes in shows as well. But I think also there are some key things character wise that um, that are universal, that draw people to them. Mm -hmm. I will say 
that uh, the production quality's not not up to the standards of the blacklist. We'll say for um, Money Heist, it's a it's a Spanish TV series. Um, the I when I watched it, it was both dubbed and subtitles, and the subtitles didn't match up with the dubbing, which was a little disconcerting. It's probably better <laughs> now because it's it has become so popular. Um, that I I would assume they've the gone back and redone grown. that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it, it was it was a little disconcerting from time to time. You would hear these English words, and of course the mouths are are speaking other words, and then you're reading down below, and the words are the words are subtitled. So I I think what I wound up doing was taking off the dubbing. Just going with the Spanish language and the subtitles, so that oh, that's a that really worked, good idea. That worked better for me. Yeah, that would um, be my preference too. Yeah, so. I wanted to. I wanted to say though, like I know we've just been rambling about these TV shows, but there's actually a connected point here to writing, because I think once you become a writer, a novelist anyway, and you're focusing on story it almost becomes impossible to watch TV or movies without also tuning in to the actual mechanisms of story that are going on behind the scenes. So like these parts about blacklist that make me crazy, uh, some of it might not be the actual writing. It could be direct Tutorial. I don't know how you, that's how you pronounce it. It's decisions where you know on the page it says you know Douala Cameroon and doesn't go into detail of the setting. Although I think in screenplays that you'd be like you know interior room whatever or exterior outside it looks like this. But it could be that the writers put in to be a certain way and the budget was like yeah no we don't have the money for that so we're just gonna put a little shack here on this property with some trees around it. And we're going to call that Duala <laughs> and, and away they go, you know? So those types of things might not be story necessarily craft issues and more just like, well, the writers wrote it and then the people who are filming it did whatever they wanted with it. But then there are some, some scenes where, you know, they're all standing around the table or doing whatever it is they do. And everybody's reciting their lines and, it it is maddening to me because I know it, it is because I know what's going on that this is story related. They are info dumping on the audience and shortcutting all the 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 pathways to finding stuff out. Like somehow that five man team is an expert in everything. It doesn't matter that that's the IT guy. That IT guy now is a you know he understands crypto. Encryption. <laughs> I'm not even going to try and say it the other way. He understands how to break encryption. He understands how to do these things. He understands. And then all of a sudden he's an expert on how to, you know, how vaccines are made. And now he's an expert on like, it's like, are you, are you kidding me? Like, no, but from a storytelling, storytelling perspective, I get it. Like you're limited to this cast of characters and now you've got an info dump on your audience. So they understand the, the things that are at stake right now, like what are the plot points like that are happening? And you can get that all wrapped up in three minutes and then they can get on their way and, and do more chases or whatever, whatever they're going to do as a novelist. 
you actually have to show how they find that information and you have to show how the things tie together and you have to show how they came to the conclusions. You can't just have somebody say, and that means blah, 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 blah. And the dialogue back and forth between these these characters would never in a million years fly in a novel because the characters aren't speaking to each other. They're informing the audience, which is just, you just don't do that in a novel. And so because I am attuned to storytelling, I spot these things and, and I'm just like, no, 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 no. You did not just do that <laughs> because I know exactly what's happening. And I'm like, that's cheating. You can't. Uh, but I think that the reverse, you can also take the reverse by saying, all right, this is how they cheated. Now, how would I have done that if I had to actually show it? And it can be mental exercises for creating characters, for creating knowledge, for creating your logic ladders. When you can spot what's wrong, quote unquote, as far as novels are concerned, then you're like, all right, well, I know that that would never fly in writing fiction. So how would I do it? And it, it, can become a springboard for learning. So it does actually tie into the topic of this show in some way. (laughs) We're stretching. We're stretching. It's still storytelling. It's all storytelling. It is. And it's just that, you know, I'm like, I really should, I I should write for TV. It seems like it's so much easier. (laughs) (laughs) Except for that whole thing about 30 episodes for a season or whatever it is. I'm not sure how many episodes there are, but, uh, that would be a little yeah, bit of pressure was, to come up with a, a, and, a great story every week. And there's often times when I'm watching it that I go, what, did they only have three hours to put this together, like to, to do the writing on it? Because it seems like it's just written by the seat of your pants. Like they didn't have the time to really think through the implications of what they're having their characters say. If they had actually thought it through you're like, that directly contradicts this other thing that this character said over here. You can't, it doesn't match, cannot. You can either have it that way or that way. But that dialogue still slides through because the, I think the rush, the, the pace of having to write, you don't have a lot of time to sit and really think about it. It's just got to get done. And there's times that I, it does come to me that like, I never watched Lost, the, um, the TV show Lost. But from what I gather from listening to the angry tirades of people who have, by the time you get to the end, there's still stuff that does not make sense. That's never been explained. And then I've read discussions by those who were writing the show who, like, they had written the pilot episodes, uh, the first few episodes, and they took off and they never had a chance to really think everything through. So they were winging a lot of it as they went. And figuring, well, we'll figure out how to make it make sense later. And they never got the chance to do that. And sometimes when I'm watching these shows like Blacklist that seem that there's so many episodes in a season and the seasons keep going and going, they were not written for streaming. They were written for television, the way television used to be. And it does really feel like they're just making a lot of it up on the fly with the idea that we'll be able to come back and patch it all together. When you're writing a novel, you got to figure all that stuff out before you hit the end of the book. Like Even if you leave some things open, like, for example, in my case with the Jack and Jill series, there's questions about Dimitri that are still out there floating around. And some of them I haven't even figured out yet, but I can 100% guarantee you by, by the time they hit the page, 
it's going to seem and feel as if I had thought the whole thing through from beginning to end because that type of continuity and ex- that, that that is just expected in novels. If you mess that up, you lose your audience. But TV doesn't seem to have that problem. You can you can do that. You can just make it up as you go and kind of patch it all together. And your audience is like, yeah, okay. And they just keep moving on. They'll come back for more. So it's just I think it's just a fascinating look at the at storytelling from two completely separate sets of expectations of what's expected of you as a writer and a storyteller. And with that, we are finished for this week's episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. And I'd, I'd really love to hear some of your thoughts in the in the Facebook group to to know what you think about the the two different series, um, comparing, contrasting, what you like, what you don't like, that kind of thing. It'd be fun. And also story stuff, like you know, shows that you watch that you yes. watch yes. from a storytelling perspective of things that you're like, hey, that's storytelling that's done amazingly well, or that's shortcuts and how do they get away with that? Just those types of examples are always fun to have, and maybe you'll send me on another you know, TV watching binge and I'll be going, listener so-and-so said this and now I hate them too. <laughs> and now can can we all just thank our lucky stars that we don't, we've never had the opportunity to sit on a couch next to Taylor while she's watching television. <laughs> <laughs> I, am, I am turning into an old person yelling at the TV. It, I never used to be that way and I'm embarrassed to admit that I've become that, but yes. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys for listening. We will be back with you again next Tuesday. See you guys next week. <laughs>